Good morning, family. Was that great or no? Come on, was it great? There we go. My name is Earl Smith. I serve here as our campus director of Every Nation Houston, the City Life Church. Glad to have you. And it is Campus Sunday. And it's an opportunity. We asked you guys to come out in your alma maters, representing the schools that you came from well, and joining us in celebrating God's heart for the college campus. And our heart runs deep for the college campus here. In fact, it is the very DNA of this movement that we call Every Nation, that this church is a part of. And you wouldn't even be sitting in the seats that you're sitting in, being able to call this church your home or sit in this building if God didn't touch someone 25 plus years ago on the college campus. It's because of that, this movement is here and this church is here now. And so you're gonna see Pastor Chris has allowed us twice a year on a campus Sunday to allow a bunch of millennials and Gen Zers to run your Sunday service. He did that. And so they're going to come up here and worship like what you just saw through the arts, through spoken word, whatever it may be. And so if you're new here, this isn't the traditional way in which we do church. But if you have a really big issue with millennials and Gen Zers running your Sunday service, Please, I really want to invite you to contact and email Pastor Chris Pate at chrispate.com because he's the one that put us up here and this can all fall apart and it's all on him, honestly. But can we just do uh, something for real, really quickly? Can we just honor Pastor Chris with a hand clap? He's our fearless leader. He, uh, he had a birthday last week. 40 years old, old, he's super old. I want to get right into this message, but I want to appeal to three different groups of people here. Number one, I want to talk to the college student. This service is for you. Number two, I want to talk to those who don't have an intimate relationship with God as Papa because you simply haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then lastly, I want to talk to those of us that are mature in the faith. Those of us that have been walking with God for a little bit now, you're a regular churchgoer or whatever you want to call it. And what I want to do is I want to bring you into the climate of the college campus. I want to bring you in through the word when we open up the word to figure out how in the world and what's going on on our college campus, what's the spiritual climate, but also how can we be involved in doing this every nation thing that we call ourselves a part of in reaching the next generation upon generations. I really believe that God wants to touch the hearts of every college student here. And he wants to touch the generations that we're seeing on a college campus now. But there are a whole bunch of blockages that are on that campus that many of us probably don't even realize. I get an opportunity to talk to a lot of college students, both athletes and non-athletes. And I get a chance to ask them really funny or weird questions. One thing I've realized about college students, they love hearing themselves talk. They love it, they think they know everything, and it's great because we were all there at one point in time. But one of the things I get a chance to ask them is, what's one of the most problematic issues? What are three of the most problematic issues that you feel like we face in this world today or in America or this, or this state that we're in? And I get the big three, and I always call them the big three because they're the most frequent. And so every single time someone would jump, hey, you know what, I think racism. And I'm like, yeah, you know, racism. Someone's like, you know what, 
feminism or domestic abuse. And I'm like, you know what? I completely agree with you. I understand. Then randomly a guy would be like, Trump. And I'm like, all right, well, that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> that's it. I'm not a political person, and this is not a political message, so you don't have to worry. But I'm like, you know what, racism, that's great. Yeah, I understand. Trust me, listen, I'm black. And Vic, I've been black a long time, brother. <laughs> 29 years to be exact of being black, so I understand. And look, I got a wife. I have a mother. I have a sister. I have nieces. I know that God's going to do this to me. He's going to give me all girls whenever I try to have kids. I know he'll do something like that to me. So I know I'm, and I'm all my interns, they're all girls. They're all women. Trust me, I don't want anything to happen to them. I want them to have the same equal rights. That is great. I don't even speak about the Trump thing. That's too much. But as I begin to continue to be on this campus and look from a distance, those issues have become very surface level. And I believe that the enemy, Satan, yes, we talk about Satan in this church, just like there's a real God, there's a real enemy of God. And just like how God wants to advance his kingdom of his glory, the enemy wants to advance and undermine God's kingdom. And if you don't believe that he's very strategic in doing that, you have another thing coming. I believe that as these things are propped up on a surface level, the devil has done something underneath the table. and He's been doing it for years, 25 years plus. In my generation, it's running rampant. It's a plague, if you will, especially with the Gen Zers that we're starting to see as well. It's this thing called fatherlessness. We're living in a fatherless generation and generations. People on that campus, and even probably some of us in here, you can't grasp the concept of God being just a good dad because they don't see it in our culture. It's scarce. They don't see it even in their own homes. It's scarce. Just last week on a college campus at University of Houston, there was this group of people that came out and gathered a whole bunch of group of people just to tell them how much God hates them, how much he hates their life, he hates who they are, and it was very, very graphic. People left way further away from God than they did leaving or coming. But I believe that God wants to reveal his heart within these next two, gener uh, two decades, within these generations. And I actually, guys, I have a slide to further my claim. And this ugly. I'm proud of my slides, but they're ugly. And it's okay. But I want to show you this slide. You can't even see it. <laughs> I'll read it. The U.S. Census Bureau did this study, and basically what they said was one out of every four kids grew up without the father. That's a little bit of an older study, which means, and they're saying that, that very soon, we're going to see a generation where that's going to be two out of every four. Two out of every four, which means we're going to see a generation where half of the generation have no clue what it means to be father at all. And I don't think that fatherlessness is just something that's an adjective. It's not just geographic. I believe it's a heart condition, and it's a mindset as well. And I was showing you this not to just bring you these specific facts, even though you can see that through these facts, the issue of the father factor kind of is a, is a root of some of the things that we're struggling with on the college campus. 
but it's to show you the spiritual climate that is on a college campus because, again, they don't believe that God literally just has good intentions for their life as a good dad would. So I've named the title of this message, Heirs, because I believe that God really wants to reveal his papa's heart within the next two decades to the college campus, to many of us even in here. I've named the title of this message, Heirs, Sons of God. And we're gonna come from the book of Galatia, Galatians. And the reason why I chose this book is as I began to sit and pray, and I looked at what the Galatians were going through, I said, hmm, that's familiar. I, kinda, I think I see that all the time on the college campus. So we're going to read Galatians chapter 4. Paul is writing. And this is what he says. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his, spirit of, sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship and daughtership, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Papa, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Can you bow your heads while we pray? Holy Spirit, Papa, we thank you. Lord, we love you. God, show us what it actually means to walk as an heir of you? What does that actually look like to be so secure in the fact that you really are a good dad? You're more than just our Lord. You're more than just our Savior. You are a daddy who wants to papa us. Show us what that looks like in Jesus' name. Amen. I won't be up here too much longer, but there are three things that I would like to talk to you about. Number one, I want to talk about what Paul is actually talking about when he says you are an underage slave. Number two, I want to talk about the cry of your heart. And then lastly, I want to give you some practical ways in which how you can see if you are really secure in walking in what God called you to walk in, and that's being a son and daughter, an heir of God, with my beautiful slides. But the background first. Paul is talking to the church of Galatia, and he is furious. He's really angry. Perplexed is actually the word that he uses at the very beginning of the book. And if you know anything about Paul, he's going to do two things. He's going to tell you the truth, and he's going to tell you exactly how the way he feels about you. I can always imagine when people get letters from Paul, it's like, oh, no, because you just had no clue what he was going to say. Because one minute he's greeting you, and then the next minute, he's like, I can't stand any of you. <laughs> he's really livid. And typically in these letters, he has a portion of thanksgiving to the Lord for the, particular, for the particular church he's writing to. But this one, he doesn't have any letters of thanksgiving, which shows you just how angry he was. But it's because he had so much intimacy with this church. He basically planted the church. He loved them. The Galatians were a people who were a Roman people, a pagan people who worshiped the elements and the elements of the universe. 
the sticks and stones, earth, wind, and fire. And I'm not talking about the singing group. They worshiped these things as deities, as gods. They would pray to them, give me whatever it is that I need. And then Paul encounters their life. He preaches the gospel to them. And then they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. They receive all of his love, all of his grace, all of his joy. And now they're finally back into one ship with the God that really created them. Paul describes it in Galatia as heirs of God. He describes it as the seed of Abraham. But something, something happened along the way. They came across some Jews. And even in the midst of the Jewish culture, there were some issues that were going on even in there. So there were some very lenient Jews who looked at the Galatians and they were like, you know what? If you really want to be the seed of Abraham, if you really want to be close with God, great. Have your Jesus, but you got to do this list of things instead. And one of them is, can you just, can you just get a little bit of circumcision? That's it. How weird is that, fellas? <laughs> can you just get circumcised for us? Can you follow this list of rules that we have? It's actually called the law. And if you follow these rules and you perform it in the way that we see fit, then you'll really be the seed of Abraham. Not that the law is a bad thing. The law is just placed there so that it can show you just how messed up you really are. Because no one in here can really say that they followed the Ten Commandments perfectly. No one can really say that they followed all the hundreds of commandments that God had really placed inside of the Old Testament perfectly. But this is what they were trying to operate in. And honestly, the Galatians began to sit there and say, you know what, you might be right. That actually makes sense. And honestly, I believe it. I believe that that's what they're thinking because that's something that is still an issue today. It's really hard to grasp the concept that you don't have to do anything to receive your salvation that somebody took all of your consequences and all of your pain. Anybody ever feel like that before? That you just need to do something. I gotta, I gotta do something. I feel so bad, I just, I experienced the weight of what I did so much that I just got, you just gotta pay me back. You notice if you had siblings before. <laughs> I had siblings and guess what? Siblings fight. And me being the oldest, I would do some things sometimes that would make me feel really bad. And my little brother, I felt like he was born a Christian. Because I would do something and I would hit him or something like that, and you know that face that kids get when they're about to explode, let mommy and daddy know that you just did something to them, and now you're about to go get a whooping? That's what was gonna happen, and randomly my brother said, you know what, it's okay. And I'm like, no, I felt so bad, please hit me back. <laughs> Anybody ever had a hit me back? Please, I feel better if you hit me back. So my brother hit me back. Well, grace and mercy is my brother saying, no, nah, I ain't going to hit you. That's what you deserve. You deserve a butt whooping from mommy and daddy. <laughs> but I'm going to give you this cup that says the greatest big brother ever. That's way more than you deserve. That's what people believe, or that's what the people don't believe. It's really hard to believe that there's nothing that you can do for your salvation. I gotta perform something. I gotta do something. And Paul is like, you don't have to do that anymore. Remember when Christ came into your heart? 
He performed all the things that you couldn't perform. He did it all for you, taking on the punishment and the sin that you really deserve, but then even giving you a crown that caused you an heir. You became the seed of Abraham, adopted as a son and daughter of God. He even says, in fact, that type of mindset, if you think you still have to perform for God, which is what we're seeing on the college campus, running rampant, even in the people that call themselves Christians on the college campus. You'd be surprised. We ask a question in the God test, and that question is when we do God tests and we evangelize on the, on the campus, we ask the question that you'll see in a little bit. We ask the question, what does God expect from you? 90% of the time, ah, oh, man, you know, he expects us to be good people. I just got to be a good person. I got to do this and do that and do that. I got to perform. All I got to do is help an old lady cross the street. That's what he really expects us to do. Then I'll be pretty much good. I'll be a-okay with God. Then we ask the next question. Well, on a scale of one to ten, how are you meeting those expectations? Then you get them, sheesh. Because they know they're not God, which is a ten, but they know they're not Hitler. So I'm about a good five. On a good day, I'll be a good little six or seven. I said seven. A good five. They think they have to perform. And Paul says this, that type of mindset thinking is that of an underage heir or a slave. There's no difference, which leads me to my first point. What Paul is talking about when, when there's no difference between an underage slave or heir and a slave the thing is, in the Roman culture, he's not talking to Jews. He's talking to a Roman people. And they really took the coming of age, becoming a man, or becoming a woman very, very seriously. In fact, no one in here would have became a man back then until your father said that you were. That is who determined whether or not it was time for you to become a man. He's the one that spoke the identity and spoke the purpose into your life. We don't understand that in this culture. Nobody knows when you really become a man or a woman. Is it when you're 18? Is it when you're 16? Because now you're able to, in some places, be tried as an adult. Is it when you're 21 and you're able to drink? Is it when you're 25 and the frontal cortex of your brain begins to develop fully, where now you can actually make really good decisions? I know old, older people would get that. <laughs> is it when you have sex for the first time, which so many of us men in here have heard, you ain't a man until you get some. You ain't a woman until you become a woman. You know what I mean. Get some. And that's the hood version. But they took that very seriously. It was the father who was the one that spoke those things. In fact, until you came of age and the father said that you were, you were underneath the list of rules. There was no difference between you and a slave. You were underneath the list of rules and even the taskmasters and, and even the slaves would be able to put the heir underneath the list of rules, even though they would be owned by that heir one, at one point in time. But they was able to put them underneath this list of rules and regulations like the law, even disciplining them. And I'm talking about whoopings. And yes, that's not a politically correct word to say nowadays. Spankings, I'm sorry. But I grew up in the era of whooping, so I understand how this feels. In fact, I grew up in the era, in the time, where you would get whoopings not even by the people that were your own parents. 
You can get whooped by people who weren't even yours. And just like some of us in, the, in here, you got children in the back. I would act up at Sunday school, and my instructor, my taskmaster, would sit there and he'll whoop me or she'll whoop me, and then she'll take me into the big people church where my parents were learning how to discipline their kids. And they'll tell my mom and my dad, this is what your son did. This is what he got a whooping for. And guess what would happen when I got home? I got a whooping for getting a whooping for acting up in school or in class. It was a dreadful time. I was a slave to the taskmasters underneath the law. God, I thank you for saving me from that. Jesus came and he did it. But he says that those of us that are mature in the faith, this is how you were. You were a slave to the law. You were a slave to your sin. You were a slave to the elemental forces of the world is what he describes in this particular chapter. Underage thinking, immature in your spirit. Those of us that are still in that particular situation where you think you have to perform for God's love, or you're still underneath the, the elemental forces of the world, trying to blame you pleasure or whatever it may be, may I present to you that Paul is saying that this is who you are now, that you are an underage boy, slave. Do you know the guts it takes to call a man a boy? Bet money right now. You go outside, pull any man off the street, call him boy, you're in a fight immediately. One of the worst things to call a man is a boy. One of the worst things to call a slave, a free man, is a slave. But this is what Paul is saying. He can care less of how the way you feel. This is the reality of where you are. And he says, in the fullness of time, God already sent his son. Why do you want to go back? To that. Do you not remember when God first saved your life? Do you not remember when you were sitting in your darkness, crying out to a bunch of wind, earth, and fire, and it wasn't doing exactly what you wanted it to do? It wasn't answering your cry. Why do you want to go back to the other extreme? Why do you even want to go to the other extreme? Well, you, now you're under this list of rules and regulations. When God came and did that for you just to show you that he loves you, there's no more performance that you have to do. But that's not what's happening on the college campus. They believe that you have to perform for God's love because that's what they grew up knowing with their natural fathers. I have to perform for God's love. He says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son into the world to redeem all of us from that law. And what he means by the fullness of time, you got to understand that he's talking to the Romans. And at this time, that Rome was the, the world's biggest power. And for some reason, there was seen to be some sort of peace that was happening and the roads for trading and all these things begin to open up freely where messages and trades can flow about freely without any issues or any harm coming done to them. That's when God chose to send his son into the earth which meant it was very strategic because he knew that the gospel would be able to get out freely without anything happening. Family, there's never a time where God is late in your life. Never. There's never a time where he hasn't... Some of us think that he's out of the loop of your life. 
That's a fatherless mindset. It's a fatherless, it's a, it's a heart condition. You don't really believe that God's best intentions for your life is good. Maybe he's trying to protect you from something. He already heard you because the good father does. But maybe the timing that he's sending, whatever it is that you're asking him for, is going to be sent in a time that is going to most benefit you. But Paul says that the fullness of time, he sent forth his spirit of his son into all of our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Which leads me to my second point. What's the cry of your heart? I have a friend named Sam Everett, and he's campus director over there in the the church or or the every nation that we have in Orlando, Florida. And one of the things that we continue to ask each other every single day, I'll do this thing called Marco Polo with him. And we always ask, what's the cry of your heart? Y'all know Marco Polo? Am I the only one? Is that old? Okay, never mind. What's the cry of your heart? Because you're going to cry out to something. The human heart cries out all the time. The problem is, or the issue is, who answers that call? Because there's only two that will answer the call. The world would answer it, or God will answer that call. And before he sent the spirit into your heart, those of us that are mature, before he sent the spirit of, of his son into your heart, where now you can cry out, Abba, Father, you were crying to something completely different. Who was answering you? How did that work out? I see a lot of people on the college campus who's crying out. I deal a lot with athletes and men, especially football players, where 70 to 75% of all football players are fatherless. Are you hearing me? They are crying out for some sort of security because the father didn't tell them this is who you are. I remember playing ball. And it was something about when mommy tells me, you're a good football player, son. The thing about moms is that they shield you from the reality of the world sometimes. My mom, your mom would never call you ugly. But you might be ugly. (laughs) But mommy would never say it. Daddy would be like, I don't know, brother. You got to get some good grades or something. Jeez. But it was something about when my dad said, son, you are the greatest football player on the team. There was no need for affirmation of coaches. There was no need for affirmation of the players. There was no need for affirmation of who was recruiting me. There was none of those things. None of that mattered because my father told me who I was and I played like it. That's what they're crying out for. Men are crying out for security because they don't have the papa's heart inside of them. I see men all the time. When the world answers that security, you know what it gives you? It gives you things that you feel like is secure, makes you secure. Money, drugs, women, power is a huge thing. But what happens when that power is challenged by a woman? And there's no foundation of Papa's heart inside of you. Domestic violence happens. No one grows up at five years old wanting to beat on women. The cry of their heart is something. It's security. The cry of their heart is some sort of love. The cry of their heart is Papa's heart. 
They just don't know it yet. And the world is answering. But you know what you get when God answers your, your cry? You get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. You get a crown that says compassion is what the Bible says. He says, I make you an heir and even you are a son and a daughter. Listen, there's nothing that you have to do. You are literally mine and I am yours. You can walk in security in that. You can walk and love in that. But even the Christians on our college campus who really don't know this, they're trading the fruits of the spirit for energy and vibes. You ever heard of keep that same energy? I'm sorry for the older people here. I'm going to give you a little young lesson really quickly. Um, what keep that same energy means is this. It means that um, there was something about the aura or the energy and the tone in which you said something to another person, and it offended them really badly, and um, they're asking you to keep that same energy so that they can be justified. When they see you face to face, they can punch you square in the face. Don't ever wait when someone says keep that same energy. Run and run. Anyway, quick short lesson. But energies and vibes and meditation and new ageism is starting to become a humongous thing, even in our Christian world. All of it is performance-based. I have to do this in order for me to get to God. What is the cry of your heart? In your life, has the world answered your cries more often than Christ is answering your cry? And I don't care if you are mature in the faith you still have to question whether or not your heart is really crying out, Abba, Papa, Father, Daddy, help me. Which brings me to my last point. He says that you are heirs of God, sons and daughters. I love kingdom movies, Game of Thrones. My favorite one is Lord of the Rings. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> My favorite one is Lord of the Rings. And I love watching whoever's going to be the heir, who's ever the chosen one. I love watching their character. And you can tell the difference between some of the kings or the heirs in the Game of Thrones and their security because they weren't very secure in who they were at all. They were also fatherless. The Lord of the Rings. You have another heir, and I won't go into, the, into that. I can go deep into the Lord of the Rings. But how they carry themselves, the security that they have and who they are was given to them by someone. Ours just happens to be the creator of the universe. So I really believe that he wants us to be heirs, but he wants us to learn how to walk and be sons and daughters well. What does it look like to be an actual heir of God, to be able to represent who he is throughout your jobs and from my context on a college campus. And so I have my beautiful ugly slides to show you some things. This next slide, are you defined by him? Are you destined by him? Are you directed by him and are you defended by him? Can you truly say this in your heart as an heir, as a son and daughter of God? What I mean by defined by him can you rise above ungodly beliefs? Can you experience true contentment? Are you destined by him? Are you free from blame and self-pity? Are you free from comparison? Are you truly walking in condemnation or you're not? 
We love that scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, say it with me, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And what's the next verse? It's my point. <laughs> People rarely listen. Notice the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through it. You can't fully walk with God as an heir if you're still being condemned by your sin. It won't happen. God came and delivered you from those things. He's here to save you. His heart is only good intentions. That's it. Nothing else. That is the only thing that you have to believe. In fact, Jesus says, and everybody here at one point in time in your life wonder what in the world was God's will. Jesus says, my will in John, in the book of John, he says, the will for everyone, when they ask Jesus, what is the will of the Father? He said, the will of the Father is to believe in the one that he has sent. That's it. He'll take care of everything else. Are you truly destined by him? Are you directed by him? Which is the next one. Can you live for the affirmation of God? You don't need a title. Do you believe that you have full access to God? I don't live for the affirmation of man any longer because I got the affirmation from my papa. It don't matter how ugly my slides are. It don't matter how well I can preach. It don't, well, don't matter how well I can teach. My daddy gives me that affirmation. Can you truly say, do you really believe that you have full access to him? Because I know for a fact that I deal with people and I deal with men, even though they had the fathers in the home, the dad wasn't there emotionally, mentally. So they never felt like they had true access to their dad. It's hard for them to believe that they got that access to the father, the one that created them. I have to keep going. Next, are you defended by God? Can you rest? Can you forgive? And can you hope? This isn't the whole say all. There's a lot of ways in which you can determine whether or not those of us that are mature in the faith, that you're walking as true sons and daughters of God. And those of us that don't know God as Papa, I beg you, don't leave here without someone praying for you. Please, let the cry of your heart be Abba, because I promise you the result is gonna be much different than what you've been experiencing your entire life. I believe that God wants to touch this generation and he wants to touch the future generations with his Papa's heart. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you. Papa, I love you. Lord, continue to teach us what it means to be sons and daughters of God. Continue to please show us, if we don't know what that is, and we don't know what that means, please show us what that is and what that means. Allow those of us that are mature in the faith here Allow us to be on mission and saving the next generation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.